Um, my wife and I, my wife Joanna and I, we were married uh, in October of 2006, and so we're celebrating 13 years this year. When we got married, we got all the gifts, you know, from the registry, but we also got a handful of gift cards for our registry as well. And so we used those gift cards to outfit our apartment the best we could, and, uh, but then it was also, you know, we were in the stores, and it was you know, you know how the stores are, like right after Halloween, Christmas stuff is all up, right? And so we decided we would use all of our gift cards to start buying the Christmas stuff. So we bought Christmas tree, we bought all the lights, we bought the decorations, we still had some money in our gift cards. So we thought, well, let's start buying our Christmas presents. And so Joanna and I, we started buying our Christmas presents for each other. One of the other things I forgot to mention is that we're both the babies of our families, and so we can't say no to ourselves. I don't know, how many of you all are babies in your, in your family? All right. How many of you all are like first kids or, or the older kids? Oh, okay, so that's why you're not laughing at my jokes. Um, and <laughs> so we come like mid-November, we have all of our apartment, all of our toys, our tree, our, all of our presents under the tree in our apartment. And we are just looking at all of our Christmas presents and we're like, we got six weeks to go. This is going to be impossible. And so on Thanksgiving that year, Joanna and I, we looked at each other. We said, you want to open one? <laughs> like, yeah, I want to open one. And so we opened our first Thanksgiving presents, our first Christmas presents on Thanksgiving that year. I remember I got her, I got her a CD of a band that I really liked, and uh, I ended up listening to that CD all the time. So I'm really thankful for this tradition. I'm really good at giving gifts. Um, but that tradition has become part of our family, and even to this day with our kids, we're excited to share this tradition with our kids that on Thanksgiving, we open our first Christmas presents. It's almost like a little appetizer. It's a little foretaste of the coming Christmas. This is how God operates. That's what the season of Advent is about. It's about getting these little tastes, this little glimpse of Christmas, not opening all of our presents, not going straight into the Christmas story, but to kind of hear hints that Christ is coming, hear hints that the hope is coming into this world, that light has begun to spark. This is God's kind of MO when God's about to do something big. God always opens with something big. God, like any entertainer or artist or musician, God always has an opener. John the Baptist is that opener. John the Baptist is that forerunner who comes and gets us ready for Jesus. A little while ago, it was, uh, I think it was in August, Joanna and the kids were out in Boise visiting family, and uh, so I was at my house, and I didn't, you know, I, I probably had like four bowls of chili that day. I was taking care of myself. And a friend from college was playing in a band in Portland. And they were playing a show that night. And I go, hey, I think I'm going to go out to the show. Um, I messaged him and he said, great, we'll be at this place at this time. So the show starts at 6 o'clock. And it's been a long time since I've gone out to shows. It's been a long time since I've gone, especially a show like in a bar in Portland, I mean, I just don't really do that. I have little kids. But I thought, okay, I show, I'll, I'll go. So I show up at the bar at, four, at 5.45, right? Because that's the way you do. And I'm the 
only one there. And I like say to the bartender, like, hey, I'm, I'm here for the concert. It's supposed to start in like, you know, 15, 10 minutes, right? He's like, yeah, that's what the flyer says, but it's not going to start till like 7. <laughs> I was like, no, what do I do? He was like, well, you can go home and come back or you can wait. And I was like, oh, I'll wait. And so I'm waiting and I'm waiting by myself and I feel so stinking awkward. Um, and then it gets to be like 6.45 and some people go up onto the stage. And I'm like, this, this is not who I came out to see. So I say to the bartender, like, hey, when is, when is Chris and his band going to go up? I mean, that, are they playing tonight? And they're like, yeah, this is the opener. I said, there's no opener on the flyer. He says, there's always an opener. I'm like, okay, great. Well, I, I sat through the whole show, um, and, and I, I stayed late. I was there from like, oh my gosh, it was, I was there from like 5.45 to 10.30, which seems crazy in my world, but I realized that that's not crazy in other people's world. But I was, it, was, it was time for me to go home. Um, God always sends an opener. Whenever God does something big, he always sends an opener. An opener gets us ready for the main show. An opener gets us in the mood for what we're going to have next. It's not just in like music, but this also happens, you know, in meals, appetizers. An appetizer is supposed to get you ready for the main course. God sends John the Baptist to get us ready for what Jesus is going to be like. The opener should give us some hints for what the main event is going to look like. So this morning we're going to look at John the Baptist a little bit closer and see what kind of hints we have about who Jesus is and who Jesus is going to be. So John the Baptist was born to some Israel, Israelite priests, some Jewish priests. He knows the whole Jewish structure. He knows the religious order of his day. But when he goes and he looks at the religious order of his day, he says there's something messed up here. There's something wrong going on with all of our rituals, with all of our appearances, with everything that we're doing. It's not drawing us to God anymore. And so John the Baptist says, I'm going to change all of it. I'm going to show you what it's all really about by upending the whole thing. The first thing that John upends is the religious rituals. The religious rituals of the day were important for the Jewish people. Rituals are important for us. These activities that we engage in that get us, um, that put us in a space so that we know who we are, right? Our Christmas traditions, the shuls, we know who we are because we open Christmas presents on Thanksgiving. That's who we are. Rituals help us know who we are. But more than that, religious rituals help us know who we are with God. The Israelites, when they were freed from slavery, they were given a promise. You're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to bless the world. And the people said back to God, how can we really know this? How can, how can we be sure of this? How can we be sure that you love us? How can we be sure that you forgive us of our sins? And God says to the people, well, what do other cultures do? How do they know? What are their rituals? Israelites are like, well, they sacrifice their children to their gods. And God says, nope, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But, okay, I can work with this. You understand sacrifice. So here's what we're going to do. When you farm out in the field, 
I want you to take some of your grain. I want you to take some of the best grain, and let's have a religious ceremony. Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's sacrifice the grain, and then you'll know that we are friends, that I am your friend. If you want to know that you are forgiven for sins, then this is what we'll do. Go and get, go and get a lamb. Go and get a goat. Let's take the goat. Let's pray for it. Let's pray and put, let's confess all of our sins on this goat. And then let's turn the goat out, smack it on the bottom, and watch it run away so that you'll know all your sins are gone. We'll sacrifice. We will have a feast. We will have a barbecue. And before we kill the meat that we're about to eat, we'll pray and we'll understand that this sheep or lamb or ram has given its life so that we can have life. And when you eat this sacrifice, you will know that you are forgiven. Rituals are a good thing. They help us know who we are. They help us know our standing with God. But if the ritual gets disconnected from the meaning, then it becomes a huge problem. It becomes even a barrier for God's grace. This is what John the Baptist sees. He looks at the priest ritual. He looks at the sacrifices happening in the temple. He says, they don't mean what they mean anymore. Now all you're concerned about is if you are doing the sacrifice the perfect way. All you are concerned about is eating the right food and staying away from the bad food. You don't care anymore what this says about God or your standing with God. These rituals don't serve their purpose anymore. So John says, we're going to change the whole ritual. We're going to do something entirely different. One of the rituals that you had to do when you came to worship was to wash yourself. It would be like having like, like pools out there. And they didn't like take baths, but you would go in and you would ceremonially wash your hands and you would be baptized before you came in to worship. These pools were pristine and pure and clean. In fact, you had to clean yourself before you ever came to get ceremonially clean at worship. John the Baptist said, this is ridiculous. That's not what this is about. Baptism is to know that you are clean before God, and we can do this anywhere. We can do this in the muddy Jordan River. The Jordan River is not a clean river. It is not a pretty river. It's not deep. It's shallow and muddy. It says to the people, come out. Come out to the Jordan River so that you can know that your sins are forgiven and be baptized. We'll start a new ritual in this way. John the Baptist says, you know, all the dietary rituals, they only mean something if they draw us to God. I don't need them anymore. Why the scripture says that he eats wild honey and locust. He doesn't follow the rules. The rules were there to help point the people to God, but once they stopped doing that, they weren't important anymore. He says you don't need those rituals. This is one of the reasons why, you know, in the church, we have rituals. Rituals are important. Rituals are important. We come and we worship, we sing our praises to God, we awaken our hearts to God, we listen to the story, we respond in faith, and then we go back out into the world to love and serve the world. These rituals are important, but they don't exist for themselves. They exist to point us to God. 
It's one of the reasons why I love the United Methodist Church. We have so much freedom in our rituals. A lot of other denominations, they are, I mean, they hold together based on how they worship. In Episcopal churches, Catholic churches, Lutheran churches, um, any, anytime you go to a service, it's going to be a pretty similar service. And I love those folks. They're my sisters and brothers. I love them, and they add so much value to this great Christian family tree. But in our church, in our denomination, we say that's actually not what binds us and holds us together. For the United Methodists, what holds us together is this commitment to putting our faith into action. So I know that whatever United Methodist Church I go to, I'm going to find a people that are active in their community and in their world making things right. But when it comes to religious rituals, we have some freedom. Some United Methodist churches sing songs only out of the hymnal. Some churches sing only the new contemporary songs. Some churches like ours, we do both, depending on which service you go to. We have this freedom in rituals, but we still do rituals that point to us to God. John the Baptist upends those rituals. He says, if they don't point you to God, then they don't serve a purpose anymore. The second thing that John the Baptist upends is religious appearance or hygiene. (laughs) John the Baptist looks at priests and what they're wearing and their robes and their jewelry and all these things that were prescribed in the Old Testament. The leaders of the people need to wear a certain uh, garb. They have to keep themselves in a certain way for respect, but also to point the people to God. Everything matters. So the religious priests, they wore a chest plate that had 12 stones in it to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel that God has been working through this people forever. They wore a garment that was of one fabric to dis- because Judaism was one of the earliest religions that believed that God was one, that there was only one God. So they wore this one piece of fabric to point to their theology and their beliefs in God. But after time, what they wore no longer pointed to God, but it pointed to their own prestige. It pointed to their own status in the community. John says, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to dress a certain way to be acceptable by God. So from now on, I'm going to make my own clothes out of camel's hair. I'm going to tie a belt with leather. I'm going to look crazy (laughs) because you don't need to look any sort of way to be loved and uh, cared for by God. So he upends this whole religious appearance. Now, I like wearing nice clothes from time to time. I like all the clothes that I wear. I don't buy clothes that I don't want to wear. So I like the way I look, and I like being clean. (laughs) I like taking care of myself. But if I start to think like that's the important thing, that's going to get me ahead in the community, that's going to get me ahead in the church, that's going to get me ahead anywhere, I've missed the whole point. I wear what I wear to be myself, to be my authentic self, to to you guys, to be respectful. Um, Some days I wear a whole suit and tie, other days I wear jeans and sneakers. Um, I think it's still part of who I am and part of my ministry. 
there was a guy, his name was Ray Burns. I loved him. He passed away uh, not long ago. He was, he was a member of my other church, my previous church. And, um, you know, I, I would kind of preach in whatever. I would preach in this. Sometimes I would wear a robe. Um, and one Sunday, he came up to me, a little upset, and he looked at what I was wearing. I think I was wearing something similar to this. He said, so is this what all the preachers are wearing now? Ooh. He was wearing his brown three-piece suit, um, and I said, well, Ray, not everybody can look as sharp as you, so why try, right? That's what I said. And he chuckled, and he laughed. And then from that point on, uh, every Sunday, he would come up to me and greet me, and he would say, looking sharp, pastor, looking sharp. I loved Ray. For Ray, appearance mattered, but relationship trumped that appearance. And when we could have fun, when we could laugh together, then it was, didn't matter what clothes I was wearing. John the Baptist is trying to tell the people, it doesn't matter what you wear. You are accepted by God. The last thing that he upends is uh, nationalism and xenophobia. Xenophobia is fear of foreigners, fear of other people. John the Baptist is talking about, uh, he's, he's gathered a crowd around him. People are coming in. They love this message. You mean to tell me that I don't have to follow all the religious rituals correctly and God still loves me? You mean to tell me that I don't have to wear the right outfit and God still loves me? People are all over this, and so they flock to John the Baptist. So some of the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they say, we got to go find out what's going on. The Scripture says that they actually came to join John the Baptist movement, that they came to be baptized. But when John sees them, he sees them in their fancy garments. He sees them bringing their ritual, bringing their appearances, and he stops them. He says, you people, you people, you are children of snakes. Don't you understand? It's been your job to oversee the rituals, to oversee the clothing, the garments, to oversee our religious practices, and that these religious practices were put in place to set the people free, to show them that they are loved by God. But instead, you've used religious rituals to keep people out, to keep people out. So he calls them a band of snakes, children of snakes, and he says, you have to change. You have to start producing good fruit or you will not avoid the coming destruction. And he says to them, don't say to yourselves, but we're children of Abraham, so we're okay. Don't say to yourself, I belong to this race. I belong to this country. I was born to these people. By that fact alone, we, we enjoy a certain status with God. We enjoy a certain privilege with God. John the Baptist says, don't think that. You say, because you're children of Abraham, you're good to go. God can turn these rocks into children of Abraham. Your history, your family, your tradition, your country, that doesn't get you in. That's not the most important thing. These people were brought together. They were made a people, the Jewish people, the Israelite people. They were brought together and made a people 
special, chosen, but with a task, with a mission to bless the world. Over time, as the Israelites and then the Jewish people were destroyed and oppressed and taken over, now at the time of Jesus and John the Baptist, they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And the Pharisees are a group of Jewish people. They said, what have we done wrong? We have done wrong by merging with other people. So let's hold ourselves aside. Let's set ourselves apart. Let's not interact, mingle, associate with non-Jewish people. Let's keep ourselves pure because we know this is how we are going to protect ourselves. This is how we are going to win God's grace by protecting ourselves and hating everybody else. John the Baptist says that's not the way. That's not who we are. That's never who we've been. We have been a people set apart and chosen to bless the entire world. That's what we have to live into. So John the Baptist says it's not about, it's not about um, religious rituals. It's not about appearance. It's not about ethnicity or your nation or your country. The only thing that we need to uh, prepare for Jesus is repentance. John strips away every religious thing to show us the only thing necessary to prepare for Jesus is repentance. What is repentance? It's just an opening of your heart to God. It's just an opening of your heart to God. Uh, the Common English Bible translates the word as change your hearts and your minds. John says, you want to get ready for Jesus? You want to get ready for what Jesus is doing in this world? Open your heart and your mind to God. What matters is that you open your heart to God. To say, I may not have it all right. Repentance is at its core humility. I may not have it all right. So God, I invite you, I invite you to change the way I think about things. I invite you to change the way I feel about things. And when you invite God to change the way you think about things and the way you feel about things, be careful because you're also inviting God to change the way you live and act. And so John is saying, repent. Be ready for Jesus by saying, God, I'm open to you. Correct me. Show me what I'm doing wrong. Show me what, I'm not, what I don't have figured out. I readily admit to you that I don't know all things. Help me. Change me. I repent. This is who, this is what John is getting across. You don't need all these other things. You just need repentance. The only thing that matters is your heart. All the different things that we do as Christians and all the different ways that we gather together and we prepare music, we prepare ritual, we prepare all these different things. None of it matters if it doesn't move our hearts. None of it matters if it doesn't open us up to God to say, God, I can still be corrected. I can still be changed. Form me, shape me. This is what John the Baptist, this is what God's opening act 
is calling us to do to get ready for Jesus? Is your heart open to God today? Can you still change? Is God maybe asking you to change some things right now? Be open to that. Have a heart turned towards repentance. I like to end a sermon with a couple of action steps. What do we do with this, uh, with this message, with what we've been saying? The first one, um, the first one is to take stock of our rituals, our possessions, and our loyalties. Which of these things draw us closer to repentance? Which of these things take us further away from repentance? For me, worship, rituals, these rituals that we gather in week in and week out, they bring me closer to repentance. They bring me closer to open myself up to God. What possessions do I have, whether they're clothes or other things? Are these gifts that I enjoy and I give thanks to God for? And when I have them, I think, man, God's earth is beautiful and good. Thank you. What loyalties do we have? I am thankful to be a shul. <laughs> I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that for these people that I'm a part of. I'm thankful for my country. And God has put me in this family, and God has put me in this country for a reason. God has put me in these places um, to, to bless, to serve. I'm thankful for my country. I'm thankful for my family. But sometimes those loyalties can trump our loyalties to God. What do we do in those situations? How can we be proud of our families? How can we be proud of our country? And also open to God's correction. To say, God, you are using my family, you are using this country in a way to bless this world. Help me be a part of correcting things. Help me, Lord God. What loyalties are helping us move towards repentance and directing our, our gaze to God? What loyalties are directing us away from those types of things? Think about those things. The second one is to um, have a heart of, there's, there's some fruit that come out of a heart of repentance, a heart for God. Um, their generosity, mercy, and contentment. In, in Luke chapter 3, we get a little bit more of the story. There's, John the Baptist has gathered a bunch of people. And so then when he says you must produce fruit, the people ask John the Baptist, what do we have to do? Tell us, you know, tell us straight, what does this fruit look like? So he says to all the people, the first thing you do is if you got two coats, give one away. If you got two coats, give one away. If you have enough for yourself, if you have more than enough for yourself, then give to those that don't have enough. The first fruit of a heart that's turned towards repentance is generosity. How are you giving? How are you caring for others? Do you have enough? The second thing, there's tax collectors in John's congregation. Tax collectors are the most hated group of people in, among the Jews. They have cheated and betrayed their cousins. And the tax collectors say to John, well, what do we do? We have a lot more than two coats. He says to them, no longer collect any more than what you are called to collect. So no longer take the salary. No longer take from your people. Collect the taxes for the Romans and no more. Be content with what you have. 
Be content with what you have. The tax collectors are called to contentment. Think of what you have. Are you content? Are you happy with it? Be happy with what you have. Second, and then the, the last one, is there's a group of Roman soldiers that have joined John's little band. Imagine that. So first we have just regular Jews. Second, we have the tax collectors, the most hated group of Jews. Third, we have Roman soldiers that have joined the party. They are the oppressors. They are the enemy. And they say to John, what about us? John says to them, do not extort or take advantage of any of the people. Instead, you are called to protect them. You are called to serve them, to care for them, to have mercy on them. This is the fruit of a heart turned to God, a heart of repentance. Generosity, mercy, contentment. Generosity, contentment, mercy. How are you measuring up in those areas? What's your generosity looking like? What's your contentment looking like? What's your mercy looking like? This is the fruit that God calls us for. And then finally, the last one is um, prepare for Christmas Eve. Prepare for Christmas Eve. Bless your neighbors, bless your friends, bless your families by inviting them to church on Christmas Eve. This is a time when folks are looking for a place to worship. And People fall out of community, church community, for a lot of different reasons. And coming back into church community is not easy. It just isn't. There's an awkwardness. There's a guilt. If you've, if you've been away for, from church for any period of time, the time when you come back in, like, I mean, pe- church people are changing stuff all the time. Church leaders are changing stuff all the time. And if you don't know when to stand, you don't know when to pray, you don't know the Lord's prayer by heart anymore, if you don't know some of these things, it can be really awkward and difficult. And then if you're a person who hasn't been in church for a while, but, you know, you make it to Christmas Eve and Easter, but then the pastor just makes fun of people that only come at Christmas and Easter, that doesn't feel good either. There are people in our spheres that are looking for community, that are looking for worship, that are trying to figure out how to get back in. I promise you, I'm not going to make fun of anyone who comes just at Christmas Eve. I don't make fun of anyone who comes to worship at all, you know. Just however often you can get here, get here. I'm glad you're here. There are people that are looking for ways to worship this Christmas season. We got to roll out the red carpet for them. We got to care for them. We got to invite them. You can take that worship folder. It's kind of designed to be uh, outward facing. It's designed to kind of show those who aren't part of our church what we're really about. And so you can take that. You can use that to share with folks that might need a place to worship this Christmas season. John the Baptist is the opener to Jesus. He is the forerunner. He is the one to get us ready. He says this is how we're going to be ready for Jesus, by repenting, by having hearts that are open for correction from God by being willing to say, God, check me, make me new, find any corrections, I'll do it.